Welcome to Pocketful of Grace, the weekly podcast of Grace Lutheran Church here in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Carolyn Hetrick, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Pastor Scott Schul, back after the Christmas holiday, here as we begin the season of Epiphany. This week, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord as we prepare our hearts and minds for worship for January 9th, 2022. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the promised company of Almighty God when we pass through the waters, the rivers, the fire. The gift of God's beloved, Jesus, in bread and wine are the very things that offer us that pocketful of grace for our journey. So pull up a chair as we get started and Pastor Shul, let's ground ourselves in the prayer of the day. Friends, let's pray. Almighty God, you anointed Jesus at his baptism with the Holy Spirit and revealed him as your beloved son. Keep all who are born of water and the Spirit faithful in your service, that we may rejoice to be called children of God, through Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You know, if there was something that I wish the prayer could pick up, it's true that we should be faithful in our service. But in the time in which we have found ourselves, I wonder if equally important is being strengthened in our own belief in the power of our baptism in the face of all the things that surround us. Yeah, there's a, there's a definite uh, assurance that comes through baptism, assurance of being loved just because we exist. And I think the way to get that, it's, it's, you're right, it's not as explicit in the prayer as we might like, but we begin to unpack a little of that in the first part of the prayer, uh, which is surprisingly theologically rich in what it says about Jesus and baptism. Note that it doesn't say Jesus was baptized because he needed to be forgiven, or Jesus was baptized because he needed to be saved. Instead, the prayer says, God, you anointed Jesus, you revealed him. It's really about identity, and that's certainly part of our baptism, but ours requires so much more because, well, we're not Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, well, baptism is for us a holy sign. That's what sacrament means. It's Mm -hmm. a sign that we too have been chosen and that we are infused with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not need the Holy Spirit to show up in order to show Jesus' divinity for Jesus' sake. We need to hear about the infusion of the Holy Spirit in a visible and a tangible way because it's the very reason why water and the Word matter to us in baptism. We need a tangible sign to help us to begin to believe in what we can't fully see, that it's reality. And that is a beautiful Uh, example of what God does for us on a daily basis in explaining and unpacking things and and revealing uh, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit through through things we can see and touch and feel and hear. Maybe it's a piece of music or uh, the the beauty of the the blue sky that we're looking at out our window right now as we record this. All of those things are, are ways that God touches our hearts that God doesn't need to do 
but does because we are tangible people and baptism and all of the sacraments are certainly uh, prime examples of that as well. Yeah, we say that in our communion liturgy, the things that mm. we are given to see so that we can believe in the God whom we cannot see. Who is invisible, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, so again, this is a very thematic prayer for a very thematic day, Baptism of Our Lord. That's going to come up in the lessons today. We're also uh, here at Grace, we began this about three years ago. We use this day to celebrate all baptisms, but in particular, the baptisms that were carried out in the preceding calendar year, in this case, 2021. We had nine baptisms, which was, uh, I think, really remarkable given uh, the state of the pandemic. So it's a chance for all of us to uh, to remember our baptism in some fashion and uh, more than anything else, remember uh, the Jesus who loves us without conditions, without qualifications. And I think as we head into our reading from Isaiah, a way to remember that God is just as active in the ways, the places, and the times that we weren't expecting or thought we wouldn't see something right. as the ones that we were expecting. So with that, let's uh, move into our reading from the 43rd chapter of Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you, I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah can be um, a daunting subject if you don't have a guide, whether a good study Bible or a pastor or somebody who's had the opportunity to study these things. But for me, the easiest way to unpack Isaiah, and this isn't original to me by, by any means, this is something we learned in seminary, uh, but it's a really fundamental building block. There are really three phases of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters are all about a people who have strayed and a God who out of love says you need some correction. Chapters 40 through 55 are the end of that correction and, and words of hope that, okay, now we're okay. We're going to be fine. I'm still with you. I never stopped loving you. And I'm going to bring you out of this problem, namely the Babylonian exile. And then the last 10 or 11 chapters, 56 through 66, are about uh, you know what happens in the aftermath of the exile. So we're right in the middle of Isaiah here, where, where God is giving words of assurance that I never stopped loving you. I never gave up on you. You're mine. You've, you, you continue to be mine. And now that this transformation has happened for you, this course correction, it's time for my promises to be fulfilled with you. So there's an interesting thing that's happening in chapter 42. In chapter 42 of Isaiah is where God starts to talk about having 
chosen a servant mm. who's going to yes. help to bring the people out of exile, which is where they are. Um, after all of the, you know, lamentations of the early chapters. But in chapter 42, what happens is that the prophet, speaking for God, says, you know, as all these things kept happening for you, there was a time where I stayed silent. Mm. I held my tongue, and I sort of kept my distance because there was nothing more to say, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of 42, now listen. Now listen. And then we get these words, now thus says the Lord who created you. So there's a, within the, the breakout that you've described, there's this pivoting mm -hmm. that happens mm -hmm. the end of 42 into the beginning of 43. And the language that God's going to use to continue through the prophet to encourage them is language that should help any one of us. I created you. Mm -hmm. I formed you. I redeemed you. I called you. You're mine. I'll be with you. I mean it. I really will be with you. I am with you. I'll bring your offspring along. I'll gather you. Everyone who is called by my name, you were created for my glory. I formed and made you. Yeah. And that language speaks across time for any of us. No matter what situation you're facing, whether it's personal or more communal, where it seems like things have run off the rails, and now what? And is God really going to show up in a tangible way, or are we just going to keep talking about it with words? Yeah, yeah, that's important. I mean, this, this text is here because it's a baptism Sunday. We're, we're really focusing on baptism, but you're, you're absolutely right that these words are universal throughout our lives. Uh, it, it begins with God affirming our identity as God's beloved, and then a promise, the reassurance that I'm here with you. I'm going to get you through this. Passing through the waters, that's a way of thinking about baptism. But, you know, there was a, there was a time when I uh, would have spent this entire Sunday or maybe this entire podcast uh, reflecting so joyfully on my own baptism. And I, and I do do that. But I, I've come to understand that baptism isn't that joyful for other people. Uh, some people have been baptized into communities that have turned on them, that have rejected them, that have used, used the opportunity to, uh, to disassemble their very dignity. And uh, so I appreciate what you said about the applicability of the promises of Isaiah 43 being so much larger than baptism. Look, uh, the gift of baptism and the affirmation that God provides in it is perfect. But those of us uh, who do the baptisms and the communities in which we are baptized remain full of humans and remain flawed. So I, I hope that we can use this text and this day to acknowledge the brokenness of our communities, even as we celebrate the perfection of our God who loves us. Again, unconditionally. So what I hope you'll hear about God in lots of places, but certainly in Isaiah, and we're going to hear it again, I think, in the gospel in a different way, is that our God is not a God who merely tolerates us. Our God is a God who adores us. Mm -hmm. God's not merely tolerating us. God adores us. And 
that's going to matter for our own lives. It's going to matter in how we embody our baptism in our lives, the difference between tolerating and adoring. But let's start with God adores you. And part of that, too, is to not fall into this idea that to be a Christian, you have to be a cookie cutter. There's only one form. I love one of my... One of my heroes, Therese of Lisieux, used to say about the, the garden being full of all sorts of different flowers and the glory of a rose is different from the glory of a daisy. Just be who God created you to be, and that is how you glorify God. Yeah. Well, at the risk of spending all day on Isaiah, which we certainly I wouldn't could. Mind that. We could. We do have some other lessons. How about if you lead us in... Uh, Verses from Psalm 29. Yeah, we'll begin with verse 3. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. The voice of the Lord bursts forth in lightning flashes. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The Lord sits enthroned above the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forevermore. O Lord, give strength to your people. Give them, O Lord, the blessings of peace. Well, I have to say at least one thing about Psalm 29, and this is especially for my husband who wonders if every week I'm going to mention Robert Alter. (laughs) So you can mark your bingo card, honey. (laughs) But what I want to talk about here is a phrase that I don't get to say very often. In fact, maybe ever. Primordial sea monster. Whoa. Hey. So why am I talking about that? This is a very naturalistic psalm. It's very tied to creation language. And not only in peoples beyond the people of Israel, the Canaanite people had myths and others did as well about this whole concept of the water and the land. And it was believed that, you know, in, in part, the creative work was a conquest by God who rules the land, conquering the primordial sea monster, which is chaos. Mm-hmm. And so when we hear this language about the voice of the Lord upon the waters, it's mighty waters. Did we mention that the waters are mighty? And the voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. What is being said to the people who were hearing this is about eternity. It's about supremacy it's about conquering forces of nature and at the same time conquering the storms in real life Mm -hmm. which i think is why we get to the blessing of peace right if all that chaos is conquered what can we be well we could be at peace right and what a blessing that would be but understand that what was being heard initially about behind the scenes what the waters are really about it's about a primordial sea monster well, I'll, I'll, I'll add to your uh, collection of uh, mythical animals. If you read the uh, Greek version of Psalm 29, which differs a little bit, unicorns get mentioned. Yay, I love unicorns. I know, isn't that wonderful? Um, yeah, there's a lot going on in Psalm 29. Um, this is coming into play at a time when there are competing gods. The Canaanite god of Baal is in the background. And that was a small g god who was a god of storms. And so there's plenty of language in here making the point not only that our capital G god stills all of our storms, but is way, way above this 
pretend God Baal. Um, I, I'd like you to think of this as, you know, to paraphrase what Pastor Hedrick is coming up with here, this idea of the Lord upon the waters, that for me is uh, the way that we attach this into not only our baptism, but Jesus' baptism. I mean, the, God's voice is going to be heard at Jesus' baptism. But though the voice isn't explicitly heard at our own baptism, you can imagine that there's this, this massive, powerful God in the cosmos who could do anything, and yet only really wants to love you. And remember that we all have small g gods. They may not be called oh Baal, but we have a lot of them. Sure do. And no matter what we think about their power in our lives, the only God that's going to love you as opposed to just ask you for things mm -hmm. is the God who loves us. God is love. A loving God is calming the storms so that we can know peace. And I don't know any small g God that's doing that. Amen. But I do know that this podcast is the first one where we have mentioned primordial sea monsters and unicorns. And I think we should bookmark this treasure this day. For the win, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to a short but lovely reading from the book of Acts. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Pastor Shul, what's going on here? There are uh, some organizational things that are still being worked out within the church. There is a degree of order because we have the apostles largely working out of Jerusalem as the so-called home office. They are now spreading out and they're going places where uh, just a few chapters before they might have said, well, these people are, are, are lost. They're not worth our time. Samaria, I mean, Samaria is a running joke throughout the New Testament as, as the most unlikely of places. The, the whole parable of the Good Samaritan hinges on the idea that the Sumerian uh, is, the, is the most unlikely person to be the hero of the story. And here you have baptism and the way of Jesus spreading out, uh, even into Samaria. But, but I tell you, the part of this text that I really hold on to the most, and this is going to sound maybe weird, is how unsystematic it is. In other words, there were times when the Spirit came first and then people got baptized. There are situations here where there's a baptism and then the Spirit comes later. And I just love this reminder that we don't get to put God in boxes. God, God's going to come to people however God's going to do it. And, and I think there's a note of humility in there for all of us as theologians, not to get too stuck in thinking that God only works one way. Yeah, and I think what for me is really what I latch onto most in all of this is that the fullest manifestation, the fullest experience of God comes when people pray for one another. Peter and John go to see people in Samaria and they pray for them. Mm -hmm. They pray for people that they don't really know. They pray for people that maybe they don't really like. They pray for people that maybe they don't really understand. 
they could have gotten hung up on, well, I don't know why you didn't get the Holy Spirit, but that's just your problem. Mm -hmm. They prayed for them. God's fullest manifestation was brought into the midst, both for those Sumerians and, frankly, for Peter and John and for anyone who's hearing this passage. Praying for one another is incredibly powerful. It's what God wants us to do is another tangible way of seeing that God is at work. If God is love and God is a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which I believe to be the truth, then relationship is inherent to God's very being. It's no surprise then that, as you're, uh, I think, rightly saying, relationship is the essence of what God desires for all of us as well. And we've, I think, said this before, but it bears repeating. Prayer is not a competition to see how many people we can get to pray for us, as if God will be moved only if a sufficient quantity of people are signing the prayer petition. Uh, that's not the way God works by, by referendum, because what does that say then about God's love for people who are isolated, alone, friendless? God loves everybody the same. But the power of intercessory prayer, of praying for others, is how it unites us that's the real miracle in prayer. God can do anything God wants without our prayers. But as we pray for one another, we are doubly blessed. When we pray for people, it requires us to think about them. Mm -hmm. And when we think about people, they start to take up room, not just in our head, but in our heart. And it's one of the benefits of prayer, as you've said, is not only those for whom we pray, but how it shapes our way of being in respect to those other people, it, it makes them us, which is what God, I think, really wants. You know, when I'm, I'm listening to you say that, I, I'm reflecting on the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are all of these categories of people who, you know, on most days, we would say aren't so blessed because of what they're going through. Um, but if we are praying for them, remembering them, entrancing them into our heads and hearts, then I really do think there is a blessing. It's, it's a remarkable feeling to, to hear that somebody's praying for you. And I hope it's a remarkable feeling to pray for someone else, too. So the last thing I'll say on this, this little small passage from Acts really got us going. You know, one of the things that people will say all the time is that they didn't really think something was a big deal or they mm. couldn't really relate to it until someone they knew was in whatever the situation may be. Yeah. And suddenly then they felt like there was a connection. Mm -hmm. And prayer is a way of developing those connections. When we're praying on Sunday mornings for the various prayer concerns each week, mm -hmm. allow those words to sort of hang in your hearts and your minds and well, so what might that mean if I kept praying for, there's one, maybe there's one prayer this week that really stick, sticks out for you. And yeah. what would happen if I prayed just that for that thing or those people all week long? What might it inspire in me that would allow God to touch my heart and allow us to draw closer? It's awfully hard to uh, create division and strife when you're praying for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and sometimes sort of it can be a little tricky to, to pick up those petitions in the prayers of the church because they're you know flying by you. But we always uh, whoever the preacher of the Sunday is, 
tries to put a little prayer into the bulletin that ties into the day or the themes. And that's another really good place to go if you're looking for a particular prayer petition that might put you outside of your, your normal uh, wheelhouse. Well, speaking of praying, why don't you uh, read the gospel? Because I think sir, praying happens there too. Chapter 3 of Luke's gospel, as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. That was a nice God voice that you did there at the end. You're welcome. So friends, as we're looking at this Sunday, I uh, was sharing this earlier in our staff meeting that both in this uh, telling of the gospel and in where it appears in one of the other New Testament gospels, each of those begin with John the Baptist in some way lifting up his unworthiness. I'm not worthy to baptize you, Jesus. You should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to untie even the thong of this dirty, filthy sandal that he's been wearing. And it's easy when there's so many words that are devoted to that to focus on the concept of worthiness and whether we are worthy and where we are not worthy. And it's easy to not so much capture as much as we could or we should what's happening in the second part of this gospel when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and Jesus was praying, the heavens open and the voice comes from heaven saying, you are the beloved. This is a God who is not simply showing up to share in the same baptism practice. This is not just a God that is showing up praying for the concerns that Jesus is praying for in that moment. But this is a God who's fully immersed, quite literally, in all of our life, in the dirt, in the imperfections, in all of our struggles, in the totality of our embodied life. God is fully, wholeheartedly present without distinctions. I said it earlier in the podcast, and I'll say it again. This is a God who's not simply showing up to tolerate us, but to adore creation and restore. When we are remembering our own baptisms, it's an opportunity to think again how each day, the power of grace, and each week of our lives, over and over, God wants to continue to restore the integrity of our human lives over and over again so that we can remember who God created us to be and remember how loved we are. We belong. More importantly, that God chooses to come and belong with us right where we are. So I hope that there will be a message of hope and love that you can hear this week for your own life and that will inspire you to put that grace into practice. And we will be praying for all of our 2021 uh, baptized uh, people here at Grace. That's another way to put God's love into action by 
praying for them and being the arms uh, and heart of mercy, uh, the, the manifestation of God in their lives. So friends, today for our closing prayer, I'm going to use a section of poetry from Mary Oliver. Uh, the poem is entitled, On Thy Wondrous Works I Will Meditate. Every morning, I want to kneel down on the golden cloth of the sand and say some kind of musical thanks for the world that is happening again. Another day, from the shawl of wind coming out of the west to the firm green flesh of the melon, lately sliced open and eaten, its chill and ample body flavored with mercy. I want to be worthy of what? Glory? Yes, unimaginable glory. O Lord of melons of mercy, though I am not ready, not worthy, I am climbing toward you. Amen. Amen. Friends, stay tuned for Sunday. We hope you'll join us in person in our sanctuary at 8 and 10.30 a.m. or 9 a.m. worship, which is held in the Miller Center. Enter from the Beaver Street side. For indoor worship, we ask all people to mask regardless of vaccination status. You can also listen on the radio on WRSC at 10.30 a.m. and via our live stream of the 10.30 a.m. service where you can see and hear Worship Live. It's available at our website, glcpa.org forward slash live dash stream. And if you get there late, don't worry, you can watch it anytime after 10.30 a.m. However we gather, know that it is a joy to be together with you in person or in spirit as we continue to follow Jesus. Take care, friends.